Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, the streaming wars just got bigger. A surprise at the weekend box office and 50 years of Sesame Street. All this and more as you tell me how to get how to get to delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. See, I can do that one in high note. I don't know why. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He is one half of our own Burton Ernie of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, popculturecosmos.com, and of course his awesome book, Congratulations You Suck, and his podcast, Topicocalypse. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. All right, man. 50 years of Sesame Street. How about that? All right. So 50 years of Sesame Street. Yeah. It's crazy that's been on that long. It's it's the longest running kids show, I think, in existence, right? I don't know. I know they've, they've made a lot of changes over the years, but yeah, man. Got to hand it to them. Big Bird is, is an icon. I mean, Sesame Street and the Muppets, they're like, aligned with each other because they come out of the same pretty much the same workshop you know the muppets and all that so you would see a big bird appearance and bert and ernie and all that so not exactly you know it's kind of weird how they kind of differentiated that you know between the muppet show because they actually did cross well you know what we'll talk more about that here in a bit when it concerns 50 years of sesame street and we're going to share our thoughts on 50 years of sesame street and the influence it's had in our society coming up a little bit later in the show. Plus, we're going to break down the weekend box office. Also, as well, we're going to be talking at length with Disney Plus coming on the way November 12th. It's finally here. It's finally going to become available this week for all and everybody to see. We're going to give a breakdown of the streaming services. Well, the major ones, anyways, because there's so many. Just It would take up actually like probably like five of our shows. So we're going to go ahead and break down the major streaming services that are either here or on the way. And we're going to say which ones we kind of like and which ones we're kind of interested in and which ones we think maybe people should start thinking maybe that's not the direction they want to go into later on here in the program. There's an off-the-cuff segment coming up later in the program as well with Rob McCallum. And Josh, I know you have some music thoughts to close out our show. I sure do, so you better stay tuned. Absolutely. It's going to be some great conversation today, but it all starts off with, like I said, the weekend box office. It was a very interesting weekend with not one, not two, not three, but four new films that came out this weekend at the box office for Veterans Day weekend. 
And I just want to say that it was kind of like a surprise, but it's still kind of like a disappointment because Midway, even though it did not win the Friday previews, actually Dr. Sleep did, it is looking like it's going to be coming out on top, just eking ahead of Dr. Sleep. Midway coming out right around the domestic charts around $17.5 million, which I guess is not really that that good, that strong. In fact, with a close to $85 to $100 million production budget, probably does not bode well for the movie overall. Uh, you know, That's still not saying, I mean, if you're at least going to have a number one at the domestic box office title, that they can go ahead and hang on it for their ads and promos going forward. But yes, overall, it's not going to be doing that great as far as a moneymaker. Dr. Sleep came in second at about $14 million here domestically. And unfortunately, with that one as well, you have a situation where that one was earmarked for a little bit of financial success. But unfortunately, it's not going to go ahead and garnered that type of return on its investment as well. So you have a situation between those two playing with fire of all the movies that came out this week. That one might actually even come closest to turning a profit because that one can have cost that much to make. And it instead of totally bombing at the box office, which it looked like it was going to actually ended up making about $12 million this weekend for the kids out there. And that makes it even funnier because last Christmas, which you and I had speculated might be a date movie that might last similar to what we've seen before in the past with the holiday and some others, unfortunately didn't get off to a great start because it finished fourth at just over $11 million this weekend. So overall, it was down from the previous year, 27% the box office overall here domestically. International numbers are showing it's not doing much better at this point in time. So I want to hear your thoughts with these four movies really not making an imprint. What does that say about the box office right now? Here's my thoughts, all right, because I know we would kind of discuss this before the show. Like, I honestly, I don't think that people are going to see movies anymore, at least not the way that they once did. They're not consuming them as much as they were once consumed. Like before, you had all these different types of films from all these different studios people are going to watch these, you know, all the time, regardless of whether or not they were good. But now because the movie ticket price is so high, people are only going to see certain things. They're picking and choosing what they want to watch and then waiting until they come out on a streaming service or Redbox or whatever it might be. But uh, I'm also like, I have a question because I've been thinking about this with last Christmas. Do you think it would have fared better had it come out like the first, you know, either Thanksgiving week or the first week of December? I would probably say yes, maybe a little bit better, but not by much. Uh, the only reason I say is because we've seen Christmas movies come out in early to mid-November before, and they, you know, some of them have been able to prosper. I think, I think it's kind of with those Christmas movies, they feel that they only have a certain finite window to go ahead and 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 be successful because once December twenty-six hits. Nobody wants to see a Christmas film anymore. So they figure maybe let's go ahead and release it, you know, maybe early to mid-November and, and just go ahead from there. If they put it out, let's say the first week of December or during Thanksgiving, that closes that window even more because nobody's going to be seeing last Christmas in January. The only thing is they wanted to go ahead and bank on this. They're going to make their upfront money now in the six to eight weeks that they've got until Christmas. And then you go ahead and hopefully 
they can go ahead and be one of those movies that gets retread every single year, either on cable, either on streaming, or is popular enough on DVD, like The Holiday, the one with Jack Black and... Oh no, I've never actually seen that one. My, one of my favorites is Love Actually, and that's one that oh, like. Oh, that's no, that's the one with. Um, uh, the, oh, that's the one. With, oh yeah, yeah. Liam Neeson, Hugh Grant, yeah, okay. and Kira Knightley. But yeah, that's one of those ones that like it sells consistently every year, and like even if when Target takes it down to five dollars, it's always gone every time I walk in there because people are continually watching it. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's is there? I think they were banking on last Christmas joining that rotation. I think that's the ultimate goal for them is to not only have a decent run in the movies for six to eight weeks. And then, you know, like I said, as soon as January hits, this movie will be forgotten until hopefully next year and the year after and the year after where they will be on hopefully on that treadmill of three to five to seven to 10. Now, you know, maybe almost a dozen movies that get retread consistently each and every year. And like you said, love actually the holiday, I know, is like I said before, a popular Christmas movie, and Die Hard is also a popular Christmas movie. You know, we talked about last year as far as being a Christmas movie that's kind of popular, although that one's kind of popular for a Christmas movie for controversial reasons because some people say yes and some people say no. It's not a Christmas movie. Check out one of our episodes from the month of December to understand our thoughts on it and what we think on Die Hard being a Christmas movie. So. We'll just leave it at that. But yes, it is uh, you know, something that last Christmas hopefully will go ahead if it's th- well thought of enough or thought of enough in that aspect. But I don't know. It came out to a disappointing start in fourth place. So I'm not sure if it's going to have that kind of staying power. But Playing With Fire, I think of all four of them, I think is probably the most surprising because you can say midway with it being Veterans Day weekend here in the United States getting that little bit of a bump up to where it was expected to be to where it is now, even though, again, like I said, it's not probably going to turn a profit. Dr. Sleep, I guess the fact that really nobody wants to really see a horror movie at this point in time, maybe that's the reason why it didn't go ahead and become successful. But playing with fire, maybe it's just because, again, you have a three-day weekend with the kids that a lot of people decide to go ahead and say, you know what, this movie looks like it's really bad. But you know what? For the kids, they might just yuck it up anyways. It's in this weird time right now where like there's all these sporadic holidays in between in the month of November and December. So it, it's just it seems like in with public schools too, like all in California, like all the public schools here get half days on Wednesdays and once a month they'll get a day off. So it just it seems like if, if parents are looking to take their kids to do something or to see a movie, especially if it's, you know, depending on the weather, it just seems like it would be a nice thing to go see uh you know just a some random kids movie so i don't i don't know much about it you know like like we said like they did a better job of marketing that movie i mean the signs were not only in your city but in mine as well yeah they're all over the place like i saw actually saw trailers i've seen banners on the internet so either there's just days when parents are wanting to take their kids to theaters or the marketing really works you know even with bad movies so if that's the case then Perhaps some of these other studios should take a take some notes from you know playing with fire and see see what happens. But yeah, it's I mean again I don't know anything about it, but it just it seems like maybe marketing a movie to the best extent you can does work. 
maybe it does, but that also drives up the price point. And the fact is, yes, we're talking about how much more successful that it was, and you know, anticipated in being. But I think still it's not going to generate that much interest overall because it only earned $12 million here at the box office, which is not a substantial amount, just enough to maybe say, hey, you know what, with any kind of longevity, it could probably either break even for the studio or maybe get a small profit at best. So these four movies as a whole are not going to be well remembered a year from now unless Last Christmas gets on that machinery as far as being repeated maybe a cult classic or a christmas movie that a lot of people want to go ahead and check out similar to love actually and the holiday so we'll have to wait and see where all these movies line up by the end of the year i think they're all going to get steamrolled here in the next couple weeks because you've got frozen 2 and several other movies lined up and then in december you've got jumanji and of course you also have Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, which are going to dominate the box office. And by the time those movies come out, these four movies all will probably be forgotten. What are your thoughts out there on the weekend at the box office? Are you still going to take a chance? Uh, are you still going to get the chance to go ahead and check out these movies? If you are, which one are you going to see? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanity Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. And I have an update on the box office. One last note that is interesting about a movie that is doing really well. Because you said it best, my friend. People are now being really selective on what movies they go see and what movies they are going to go ahead and attend. Well, one movie that they did attend and attended to in droves will by the time we speak again on Friday, have gone over the $1 billion mark, and that's the Joker. So it is now pretty much a sure thing because it's at $984 million worldwide. So by the time you and I speak again, it will have gone over a billion dollars. And that's just amazing for a movie that certain individuals at Warner Brothers were very unsure about making. Certain individuals here, us, earlier this year, were very uninterested in seeing and somehow they managed to turn around a lot of these people as far as saying, you know what, I didn't want anything to do with this movie and have turned it around into a situation where, you know what, it's become the most profitable comic book movie of all time. Yeah, that's, I mean, cool. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I would hope that other movies can kind of follow suit. So I had a couple co-workers went to go see Joker. They really liked it, but they're the kind of people who I'm, would, you know, if you look at them, I would never assume that they would go see a movie like that. So Obviously, it's doing something. It's hitting an audience. It's appealing to people in some way, whether good or bad. So good for them. And, you know, like I don't have a lot of thoughts on the Joker that I haven't already said, but like it's good to see something like that happening. It just makes me wonder, like, there are other properties out there that could follow suit, you know, and like I hope that DC's learning a lesson or Warner Brothers is learning a lesson from these films. Like, what can we do to actually create something that people really want to watch? Something that's because with Joker, it's not designed to sell action figures or t-shirts or market anything. It's designed just to be a movie. And if they could take that approach with all the other DCU films, then they could create something that people genuinely want to watch. Like personally, like I don't care if a kid doesn't get an, an Aquaman action figure at Christmas, as long as the movie is good, I'm selfish like that. But I just hope that they're taking notes and kind of figuring out what it is that people actually want to watch as opposed to what sells merchandise. So it's something that they're going to have to go ahead and figure out 
how can we replicate this formula to make people interested in going back to the movie theaters? Because this is something that has totally turned around for us and for a lot of other people, people who were turned off, you know, at the very thought of going to see the Joker, went to go see the Joker, the promotion, everything that went into it, the controversy, you know, I don't want any film to go ahead and create the kind of controversies that, that this movie did, but still they hit on a lot of right buttons and it just seems like a lot of people were ready to follow suit. And congratulations to Warner Brothers, who've in the recent past with DC have had a lot of issues, you know, going forward, back and forth, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. But, you know, they do have some properties now that they could lean on going forward. And the second DC movie in a row after Aquaman, The Joker, is going to hit a billion dollars. So that's two in a row for them for the DC universe. So, You've got now a line of properties with those two and Wonder Woman that have generated very positive reviews and very positive word of mouth and also a lot of money. So this could be a good future now set up for Warner Brothers, and it comes just in the nick of time with HBO Max, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. My friend, 50 years, man. That's not only my age, which is, you know, I know old. I know. I get that. But still... 50 years of a great series has come around. And we talked earlier this year about 50 years of Scooby-Doo, which also was a great kids television program, which has had an influence on our pop culture. But 50 years, man, on the day that we record this, Sesame Street came out on PBS. Your thoughts on 50 years of Sesame Street, the kind of influence it's left with our society, and where do you think it will go from here? So I kind of been disconnected from Sesame Street for a long time. I'm impressed that it's still on. And I know that it's something that has literally touched across generations. Like it was something that was on, you know, when my dad was younger, something that was on when I was younger, something that's still on for kids today. And that's very impressive. You know, unlike a lot of the shows that I guess were monumental as, you know, when I was a kid and now they're starting to make a comeback. Sesame Street has been consistent through all the years. They've always been on TV. And I think that that's really cool. I know I'd asked you this before the show started. It makes me wonder, like, why they never made an actual Sesame Street film, much like the Muppets, and you're saying they came out of the same studio. But, like, it's it's a big name, so it feels like they would want to profit off of it in some way. Well, Josh, I think you're going to get your answer because there is a Sesame Street movie now in development, and it's expected out sometime in the year 2021. So hopefully we'll get a better idea about the movie as production continues on it. And we'll be able to get a movie that's worth the Sesame Street name when it comes out again in 2021. Well, the only thing with Sesame Street, remember, for so many years, it was associated with PBS. So they didn't want to get that image of making the Sesame Street name. I mean, sure, they were licensed Sesame Street for toys and, and, and so many other things that they would go ahead and associate the Sesame Street brand name for. But I think maybe delving into a movie aspect for as far as Sesame Street. Now that it's 2019 and it's changed and now you have to go see first run episodes with Sesame Street 
on HBO and coming soon, Sesame Street is also being moved over to HBO Max. That's kind of actually congested the situation, so to speak. Now you have to a point where if you really want your child to go ahead and see the first run episodes, you now have to have them tune into HBO or HBO Max before it gets to PBS. And I know for a lot of parents, they don't really care what what age, what you know, how many years old the episodes are. The kids are just they don't even know. You know, it's not a big deal for them. But I, I don't know. It's just kind of weird how they're going to go ahead and play it out because yes, PBS still gets episodes of Sesame Street each and every day, which they can go ahead and share with children nationwide and 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 all around the world. People are, are still going to be seeing Sesame Street each and every day. But it seems kind of different. It seems kind of like hand-me-downs, which, again, most kids won't care about. But to us as parents, to us as adults, it seems kind of a little bit different the way Sesame Street is presented now these days. Okay, wait. You're going to have to backtrack for me. So all the newer episodes of Sesame Street are going to HBO Max? Yep. And then they will be played after the PBS. And HBO also plays Sesame Street early. You know, I'll be honest, I don't think that that's a smart one, especially because you have all the um, HBO, you, you know, you have all these kids who are learning how to use tablets, learning how to use, it's not just people learning how to use remote controls anymore. They have tablets, iPhones, yada, yada, things like that. But putting it on HBO feels dangerous because you don't know what else that kid is going to click on while they're trying to turn on Sesame Street. I'm, so, well, I mean, it, that episode will be shown, I, I don't know, three, six months later on PBS. So it's not like it's a you know, 10 years down the line, they're going to show that episode. Yeah. But I mean, if, if a kid picks up a tablet and he, and he wants to watch Sesame street, he's going to know what app to open. but also like it's, there's no like kid filters on HBO. So, I mean, I just, from the perspective, from an objective perspective, someone who doesn't have kids, like I look at it, I'm like, Oh, that seems like it's not a great idea. Unfortunately, because the right situation is going to be played out. In fact, it's going to be a major marketing tool for HBO Max going forward and also what you see already with HBO. But yeah, it's, I mean, the first run episodes of Sesame Street go there. It gets played shortly thereafter on PBS, but it does seem like a situation where PBS gets the hand-me-downs, which is kind of disappointing overall for PBS. But still, to the you know, the one year, the two year, the three year kids that are just learning their ABCs and one, two, threes, it's not really that big a deal which episodes that you're going to be seeing, whether it's a year or two year episode that they're seeing, or if it was done six months ago or whenever. I mean, the fact is PBS has such a library of its own Sesame Street programs that they could go ahead and keep showing in perpetuum that kids can still learn and whatnot and just still appreciate. Although it's funny how these kids are still able to go ahead and gravitate towards Sesame Street, even though there's with, you know, with all the, the animation styles that are out there and all the different types of children's programming that they're inundated with. It's amazing how Sesame Street, even at 50 years old, can still resonate with a younger audience because, you know, you and I have seen it. I mean, there's so many different things that kids are inundated with as far as programming different styles, different animations, different ways of, of doing things, different ways of, of these kids taking in this type of information. It's surprising that Sesame Street, even at 50 years old, whether it's HBO, whether it's HBO Max, or whether it's PBS, can still go ahead and still enjoy this information that Sesame Street still wants to give, even after 50 years. 
Yeah, you know, like I said, I've been disconnected from Sesame Street for a while, but even after 50 years, if they're still going strong, I think there's definitely something to be said about it and just how iconic these characters have been. I know someone made a documentary about Big Bird not too long ago. It's just, it's, it's one of those properties that resonates across generations. And I have a feeling that like, you know, even when I am a grandparent one day that it'll still be on TV, you know, and that's something that's very comforting to me. It's still very comforting to a lot of people out there as well. Although, will you be Grandpa Josh, the Destroyer of Cheetos at that point in time? Grandpa? <laughs> I might be uh, Grandpa Josh, the uh, Destroyer of... Uh, Caught you good that time, didn't I? Yeah, I don't even know where I was going to go with that thought. Anyways. Yeah, anyways. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I lost it. Lost my train of thought. Okay, go on. Yes. But it is Sesame Street. It is 50 years old as we speak. It's a monumental achievement for television. And that's something I want to ask you. I mean, with all the children's television programming that have been out there and that are still out there, even after all these years, where do you put it in the pantheon of children's programming? Because I'm putting it at or near the top. In fact, you know what? I'm actually, go ahead, erase that. I'm actually putting it at the top of all children's programming. I mean, ahead of Electric Company, ahead of any of the Looney Tunes or any any of the other facets of children's television, which we've known over the years, I would probably put just for their educational importance, I'm putting Sesame Street as number one on my list for all-time children's programming. I don't have like the beloved history with Sesame Street that you do, but I would, you know, it wouldn't be in my top 10, but it'd definitely be in my top 20. Even if it's come to importance, what it teaches you and things of that nature, because this is one of the few television shows for children over the course of many years that have actually gone out of its way to teach you and bring something to the kids that the kids will retain and remember as far as at least gets the basic starters for them before they go ahead and head to school. Yeah. So like, you know, I always came up on like schoolhouse rock stuff, you know, like that was my jams growing up with for Sesame Street. Like I remember a few episodes, but I don't remember anything that I learned from it. So it's just, I don't have the experience with it that you do, but you know, I do admire how they do try to, to teach kids how to do things. And that is something that is important because if you look at a lot of cartoons, like on Cartoon Network these days, it's all, it's more adult than it is being sold as kid cartoons, but it's more adult than anything else. So I do admire Sesame Street for that in that aspect. I'm just a pill. Yes, I'm only a pill and I'm going up to Capitol Hill. Conjunction, junction. What's your function, man? There you go. There you go. Indeed. Schoolhouse Rock was great. Yes, I enjoyed it when I was a kid. I get that. I understand that. I mean, those were great animated series in and of itself. But unfortunately, ABC didn't stick to it. That's the thing. But PBS has stuck by the side. And of course, so many different contributors. And of course, us as consumers who bought all the Sesame Street related products have stayed by the side of Sesame Street for 50 years and it's something to be congratulated with. It does have a remnant with kids all around the world because it does a good job of teaching kids the fundamental basics to at least get them started with numbers, with words, with letters. I think it has done so better than anything else out there. And it just truly is remarkable that even after 50 years, the future of Sesame Street still looks bright. It does get a little cloudy because they're not getting the first run episodes, 
But those episodes eventually do come over to PBS after they hit the HBO, HBO Max train. And I understand, again, that it's going to be a major marketing tool for HBO Max and their side of the children's programming going forward. But again, we'll be talking about HBO Max here in a sec. But yes, overall, 50 years of Sesame Street is to be congratulated. And here's to another 50 years of Sesame Street. What are your thoughts out there on 50 years of Sesame Street? Are you liking the fact that Bert, Ernie, Big Bird, and the whole rest of the gang, Oscar the Grouch, and the whole nine yards are celebrating 50 years of greatness? And are you okay with the future of where the series is going now that it is leaning towards HBO, going to be on HBO Max? And yes, it still will be part of PBS, but it's not exactly the key component of their whole distribution cycle. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanity Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next, we're going to be talking about streaming services because Disney Plus is here. And are you ready for it? And the choices are so many. We'll help you break down some of the more important streaming services out there coming up right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford along with my good friend, Josh Peterson. All right, my friend. Disney Plus is here. Starts this week, November 12th on Tuesday. In fact, probably by the time you're hearing this, you're going to get all pumped, all amped if you're hearing this on Tuesday or anytime this week. So I ask you, my friend, are you excited for Disney Plus coming this week to screens everywhere, provided you on Tuesday you download that app, of course? I kind of am. You know, I'll be like, I wasn't too big on it at first because all these streaming services, they're exhausting, man. It's just so so many of them but with disney it kind of feels like it might be worth my money especially i mean in this time period now right because it with the bundle that comes with hulu and espn so like i can that's two subscriptions that can be merged into one there's also the fact that like with star wars coming out i can watch all the star wars uh, movies leading up to it i can watch the mandalorian disney has an advantage because their library is big enough to justify paying that price point so that I can have something to watch all the time. Whereas Netflix and HBO and things like that, there's only certain shows at certain times that I'm going to watch. So I'm in and out of those subscription services. But with Disney, it feels like it'd be more worth my money, if that makes sense. I can understand that. But then because of the fact it is going to be family-centric programming, there are a lot of things for us adults that we may be looking out there for that we can't find on Disney Plus, 
We may have to migrate to a Hulu, Netflix, CBS All Access, one of the many other ones. So is that an issue in regards to Disney Plus? Because again, PG-13 is going to be the limit. You're not going to be able to see anything R-rated or anything really risque or even some of the more, I guess, uh, uh, you know, um, PG-13 movies that kind of lean towards the R instead of towards the PG those movies won't even be on Disney Plus. I mean, for instance, Die Hard. I don't think you're going to see Die Hard on Disney Plus. You're going to see that on a Hulu, for instance, even though they do, they now have the Fox property. So, so I ask you, is that going to be an issue? Because again, everything on Disney is going to be family centric. No, it's not. Because I mean, I, I'm fine with a twelve dollars a month thing. Like I can still dive in and out of other subscription services you know as for diehard aliens and stuff like that i have a feeling that we're going to be seeing that stuff pop up on another you know avenue of disney streaming if not hulu maybe some kind of fox app that disney owns that then they could bundle in with the rest of the stuff i have a feeling we'll be seeing something like that very soon but yeah it does it doesn't bother me for right now because i'm still okay with diving in and out like say if there's a show on hbo i want to watch I'm fine paying the eight dollars to to watch that show for that month, and then you know canceling the subscription. I'm fine going in and out of different services still. With Disney, though, I feel like this is a one that might be worth continuing with, like keeping it running all the time, just because I can't tell you how many times ever that I have wanted to be like, oh, I want to watch Mighty Ducks, or oh, I want to watch Heavyweights, or some of those old Disney classics, and now I have a place to watch them without having to hunt them down on the internet. And that's something that's been very interesting, how Disney has held a lot of these movies just in the vault for years. <laughs> I don't know if they were actually predicting this, but remember, they used to go with all these Disney classics. They used to you know, bring them out occasionally and things of that nature for special runs and all that. And, and uh, you know, as noted by several people over the course of the past few weeks, that they've, they've been holding back on this. I don't know if they were anticipating this type of format, but my gosh, you're going to go ahead and, and utilize it now. And for a lot of people, it's really special because a lot of those kids movies, which, you know, they were able to see at one point in time, which were only in limited release formats thereafter. They're not going to go ahead, like you said, and have it right there. The Black Hole, maybe even Treasure Island, those other movies that, that have been well thought of, cult classics over the course of the years that really have not been available in any format or much in the way of being able to see those movies will probably be available at some point in time on the service, if not November 12th. So that's going to be exciting for any of the Disney fans out there, not to mention all the big blockbusters that are on there. You know, whatever Marvel movies, I know they're not going to have all the Marvel movies right away, but they will have them at some point in time. The star Wars movies, national geographic is a major part of it. So if you're a national geographic nut, you're going to be able to have that at your, you know, pretty much right there for you as well. So along Disney Plus looks like it's going to be a very solid value. And they're they're being smart about it because they're coming in at a decent price point, which is going to be around $7 a month if you go month to month. But there's bundle packages which make it even cheaper. So check them out right there. But yes, at $7 a month for Disney Plus when it comes out November 12th that is a very solid value right off the get go and I think it's going to create quite a competition between them and Netflix going forward in the foreseeable future. Some of the other major entities I want to talk about coming up in a sec but I do have to mention again like we talked about last week is HBO Max. 
I mean, HBO Max has really forked over the cash, not only to get Friends, they've, they've got, again, like we talked about, Sesame Street, they've got the Hanna-Barbera stuff, they've also got, you know, they've got South Park coming on the way, they've got a ton of stuff going there, DC stuff is going there, the CW stuff is going there, so they're going to have a ton of stuff right away when that comes out in May of 2020, so I ask you, my friend, with all that's going on with HBO Max at $14.99 a month, which is one of the higher services. I won't disagree with you on that. But still, Game of Thrones is going to be on there. I mean, all the HBO stuff is going to be on there. So with all that being said, could that, even at its higher price point, be the best value of all of them when it comes out? No, I, I don't know, man. Because I, I was actually listening to a podcast earlier, and they are talking about how nobody really knows what's going to be on HBO Max. Like they don't know if there's special programming, is it going to be an exact copy of the of HBO Go? Nobody really knows anything about it. So, you know, if it has Game of Thrones, cool. Is it going to have shows right after they premiere? That's the big question because I think that's going to be what gets people into this app because if it's just a place to go to watch old HBO shows, then why would they not just get HBO Go? Because I know HBO Max is being headed up by the guy who used to work for AT&T or still does or something like that. But I just, it feels redundant to have two different HBO apps. Well, I mean, they're going to have a quite a library. They're going to have all the DC stuff. Again, the movies, the television shows, they're going to have Hanna-Barbera. They're going to have, I think even Looney Tunes. They're going to have also as well as Sesame Street. So they're going to have a broad base of stuff that only Disney Plus and Netflix can actually have that kind of variance. So it, to me, I see a big three forming, just like in the old days of broadcast where it was ABC, CBS, and NBC. I do see maybe as early as the end of next year or by no later than 2021, you're going to have a situation where there's going to be a big three of Netflix, HBO Max, and also Disney Plus. Those three are going to be vying for the, the top mantle in the streaming industry, at least from what I see from a distance and all the, you know, all the things that are going in there. Now, how well it plays out and how big these three entities will get over everyone else, we'll have to wait and see. But I really see a big three forming as far as the, the different types of streaming services concerned, which, again comes to a situation where it was before cycling back to the old broadcast network. So I'm not sure if that's a great thing or not, but there's still going to be many options out there for people who want to consume other types of streaming content. I want to ask you, man, as someone who has Apple products, is Apple TV plus actually something decent or is the limited amount of programming on it something of an issue right now? I'll be honest, I don't really care for Apple Plus. I don't really have any desire. From what I understand, like it's all PG rated shows. PG 13 is like the highest they're going because I know that they had some kind of Dr. Dre thing on there and it got too violent and, and you know descriptive. So I if that's what Apple's gonna be going with as opposed to like the Netflix formula where they do have adult shows where for you know people who want to watch something like that. So I don't know what's on there for me. I'm waiting to see the you know the reviews on some of the shows that come out before I go ahead and dive into that. I just don't know how serious Apple is to this and how much they're going to go ahead and give to this. This seems like a little pet project for them. I mean, they've got four shows that are you know, that have big names on it, so they were willing to fork out the cash. But it's just four shows. Yes, and Snoopy in space, and an Oprah series, and that's it. I mean, there's not much there, and for 
five dollars a month for is it, it's just to me sixty dollars a year just doesn't seem like a good value yet for anybody who wants to buy into it. Now, mind you, you get it free for up to a year if you buy a new Apple device. So if it comes free, you know it's there for you. That's great. But paying five dollars a month for it right now with all the other stuff that's out there. I'm not sure it's that great of a value at this point in time, but that could change if Apple truly gets serious and wants to commit to being a contender in the streaming market. I mean, it's not like they don't have the cash. It's not like they don't have the funds. So this is something that we'll have to keep an eye on to see if it gets better. If they start buying out libraries like HBO Max paid over $500 million for South Park and they paid a lot for Friends and they paid a lot for other series to come to their network. So we'll have to wait and see exactly how that lines up. But yeah, I want to ask you one last thing on Apple Plus. Do you think they will go ahead and commit to it? Or do you think this is just, again, one of those other many famous pet projects that they've had where they're a little bit into it for a little while and then they just bail out of it and start selling more iPhones again? Uh, that's the big question, isn't it? Because there, these are all, all these markets that Apple's getting into, video games, television shows. They're markets that they don't need to get into. They're markets that they clearly did fine not being in those markets. So it feels like these are just experiments to me. Like what other markets can we dominate? This It feels like th there's no need for them to be in these markets. We'll have to wait and see how much Apple TV commits to it. I'm not a big fan of it yet, but it's something that if they ever decide to fork over the cashola even more, and buy an extensive library or libraries that will go ahead and support the basis and foundation for the network. It can go ahead and be something special, but for right now, it's pretty much an afterthought, even for those who have it free on their Apple device. I wanna ask you, with all the stuff that's out there, Hulu is something that, yes, it's gonna be one of the big benefactors of this type of streaming marketplace, because as of now, unless, Disney decides to do something different and make a new network out of it. They're going to be the benefactor of getting an influx of all this Fox stuff that they bought. That's not going to be appropriate or be at the level that they want for Disney plus. So you're going to be seeing a lot of stuff going there or migrating over to there at $6 a month and whatnot. It, I mean, it's still that type of service. I mean, I want to ask you when it comes to Hulu, I mean, is it still going to be a good value going forward for people? Is it something that you're going to need to have? I mean, does it have enough new programming that you're going to be interested in going forward? I mean, is it going to be something that's out there that really people will go ahead and hang on to? Because I feel like even though it's going to get in all this extra Fox stuff, it just doesn't have enough unless it gets bundled or something happens magically you know, like we see with Disney Plus. I mean, to me, it just doesn't seem like people are going to be buying it in droves separately. And they're only going to be interested in purchasing it if it comes with a bundle like they're trying to offer it with Disney Plus and ESPN Plus. With Hulu, it's interesting because they do have contracts with all these companies. Like, say, they have original programming, but they also have contracts with anime distributors. So, like I use Hulu to watch a lot of the Gundam series or like Inuyasha, like these old animes I used to watch as a kid, I can watch them on Hulu. So I'm curious what's going to happen to that. But just for those alone, like if there's a time when I want to watch something like that, I will pay the Hulu subscription until I'm done watching it. So just the fact that that's all bundled in, 
makes it worth that price point for me. But will that stay the same, you know, in the in the coming years? Once these current contracts are up with like Viz or Funimation or whatever it might be, are they going to continue working together? That's you know, that's the big question that I'm wondering. But I do like Hulu for the fact that I can watch like Bob's Burgers is a cool show to me. There's all kinds of like little treasures on there that I find every now and then. But, you know, again, there are times when I can go months and months without watching it at all. And then probably one of the other main services I think that we need to talk about, I think, is Amazon Prime. I mean, I talked about a big three. I think if there's any of the networks that are either here or on the way that I've seen that can crack that big three, it's Amazon Prime. But Again, it comes to a situation where I'm not sure how serious Amazon is because it does have a nice library of movies. It does have a nice library of new and critically acclaimed shows. I mean, Mrs. Maisel, The Boys, which we absolutely love. There's also Jack Ryan, Fleabag, The Man in the High Castle. I mean, there's some good stuff there. you know. And then they also have NFL football on Thursday nights. But I want to ask you, my friend, I mean, I think they need to put a little bit more emphasis on Amazon Prime Video because some people have it for video, but I still feel like people have Amazon Prime mainly for the shipping and other advantages outside of the video than just the video itself. Well, yeah, Amazon Prime, at least to me, is just a perk of having Amazon Prime. That being said, you know, if they want to compete as a streaming service, like I love that you can attach all these different things to them, whether it's HBO, Stars, Cinemax, whatever it is, you can attach all these things to your Prime services. But also Prime as an entity in itself, like they have some great shows, yes, but they don't update their content enough. They don't have enough original content coming out. They don't update their movies a lot. And when they do update, they only have like three or four movies. So I don't feel like they take themselves serious enough as a streaming company, you know, right now. I don't think that's their main focus. And that's a shame because they have the foundation of what could really be something that could be at the level of a Netflix and also a Disney Plus and also even an HBO Max. They have the fundamental foundation for that. I mean, you have Amazon who has lots of cash. You have a good series of original shows, plus you have a decent backlog of movies and television shows. They're not really shows that, and movies that you would want to migrate to, but they're there. And that's why I think the, the thing is with the commitment of Amazon into this is the fact that they're not buying up some of these different shows or movie companies that could get them their libraries even more special. I mean, they have a large library, but it just doesn't stand out amongst the others. They just have these great new shows and that they're going to have to go ahead and depend on to keep coming out with great new shows that keep earning Emmys, that keep earning decent ratings, that keep earning critical acclaim, they're going to have to keep on doing that. It just seems like they're focusing so much on that, which is awesome. It's just the fact that they need to go ahead and be a little bit more well-rounded. And it's not like they don't have the cash. If I were Bezos, I would put somebody in charge, you know, is actually into that market. I wouldn't have it be an afterthought. Like I would have more stuff going into it, making it consistent releases. Like they, yes, they have the money. They can open up a huge studio, you know, have consistent releases. Like they have the power to do that, but they don't do it. I'm curious with like the boy season two, carnival row season two, like all these big shows coming back. 
I wonder if that's going to be like a bigger focus for them from now on. Like once they see that there is a market and they've created the market, what are we going to do to maintain the market? And from that aspect, that is good. But for every time that you and I see a South Park, a, uh, a Big Bang Theory, a Friends, an Office, they go for 300, 400, 500 million dollars. I'm just surprised that I don't see Amazon in the fray of saying, you know what, we're going to fork over the cash and we're going to make it a destination for people that love these old programming because that's the backbone of what has made Netflix so special and what has made Netflix so popular over the past few years is because Netflix had a lot of these series which were the backbone and just people going forward. And they were the most popular shows on the network, not these new shows, which are very deserving by people to see. But the most popular shows were the ones that they were most familiar with, like Seinfeld, like Office, like all these television shows on Netflix were a big reason why these shows, not Stranger Things, even though it's very popular. Bird Box was popular. But what got them into that situation in the first place were those long-running series that they actually had acquired and were showing because those were the most popular shows for the most part on Netflix. So we're seeing these other companies buy them out. I'm, I'm just surprised I don't see Amazon Prime going into that realm and dishing out the cash to get at least one or two of these foundational shows going forward. And I think that's probably the key missing piece for them is that they need a little bit more bolstering on the depth of where they go outside of the great new programming that they have to go ahead and become a major factor in the streaming industry. Well, before we head on out on this issue, my friend, I got to ask you, is there any other streaming service you see that could be a viable contender in the space? I mean, we talked about the NBC Peacock service that's coming next year, CBS All Access, which is great. You know, it has some decent original programming. Like, you know, we've talked about all the stuff from Star Trek that they're doing, plus some other great shows that they have there. And, and then, there, you know, there's a litany of, of dozens and dozens of streaming services that are out there. Most of them are channel related, but still, do you see any other streaming service standing out and becoming one of these, you know, higher upper echelon streaming services that we have to go ahead and check out each and every month? No, not really. But I do think that Sony has the potential to become something like there with Crackle. I don't know if they still manage that very well, but like, it, you know, they had some original. I don't think sh- they ever did. Crackle. I thought Crackle was a Sony. Yeah, it is. Creation. It is. Oh. It is, and that's their free service and ad supported service, but their lineup of what they have has not been there because they go ahead and sell off their stuff to everybody else. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Cause I know they were doing some original content, but Sony's got a big enough library of films to where if they were to put that on that service to build up enough revenue and then start putting it into original programming, they could possibly compete. But you know, at this moment, I don't see that happening. There are so many different streaming options. We'll keep reporting on it right here at the pop culture cosmos. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to know what you're interested in, what you're looking forward to, what you have already, and going forward, what streaming services are going to be a part of your home going forward. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next is our good friend Rob McCallum with his segment Off the Cuff. And then right after, Josh has his thoughts on the music scene coming up after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. 
If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. Welcome to Off the Cuff Breakfast Edition with Justin Schoenroth. Oh, wow. We're recording already. Oh, wow. All right. Now you didn't, that was a slow roll and you didn't that even see... A, that was a slow roll. You didn't even see that happening. That's happening. Rolling on in. So uh, the show is called Off the Cuff with No Guff. Meaning no polish, no edits, just talked, opinion. Got it. Have you heard the phrase no guff before, or is that a Canadian thing? Uh, no, I've heard it before. Yeah. I don't think it's strictly Canadian. No? Okay. So we're coming to you live off the floor. You are. From, where are we? The, the Hyatt Regency. Yeah. Hyatt Regency in the uh, Regency, uh, I don't even know what this room is called. It's like a little secret room with a giant metal door. I think it's the Regency Club. The Regency Club. Okay. Regency Club, yeah. Big metal door, it's quite ominous, but uh, it's glorious inside. And we're in town filming with Mondo today for the action figure adventure series. We are, it should be fun and exciting. I'm told to look for the big snake, so. You know, that's, that used to be your pickup line. <laughs> well, you know, when you're out here in LA and West Hollywood area, you know, sometimes it's either uh, high on the razor and let's go skiing in the Hollywood Hills or it's wow. look for the big snake. Okay, well, that's that. First one is thoughts about Terminator Dark Fate. I haven't seen it. What do you think? I mean, I'm sure I'll enjoy it, but most probably won't. Did not do well at the box office. No, I heard that. It's sad. Uh, you know, I, again, it's like a, it's almost like a throwback nostalgia thing, you know, and um, I see how they're trying to reboot it a little bit. You know, I was excited to see James Cameron involvement in it, but uh, yeah, I mean, the only reason you're really gonna go is you wanna see Linda Hamilton, you wanna see Arnold Schwarzenegger back together on the screen, and. Do people get a little too uh, worked up over these reboot franchises and like, oh, it didn't work, now it's over, life is done? Probably. Yeah? Well, I mean, it's not hurting Cameron. He's got like 50 more Avatar movies going, so. Is this a flash forward to maybe the reception of Avatar? Could be. I mean, he didn't direct Dark Fate. No. Well, he's a producer on it. Worked on the story from what I understand. I'm a little worried about Avatar. You know, it's, it was a movie that was very Why popular. are you worried? Well, I'm just saying, there's a... It was a movie a long time but, ago. It was but where does popular. the worry come from? Is it really worry? Like, what are you worried about? If it doesn't do well, is it really going to impact your life? It might. I might cry a little. You know? Yeah, but you might do a fair bit of crying. It's okay. You're you're in touch with your emotions. Your emotions so have value. I'm so sensitive. You are sensitive. This has been a special edition of Off the Cuff, No Guff. Hey, you want it off the cuff, you got off the cuff. It's <laughs> Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Rob McCallum. I've been joined by our special guest, Justin Schoenrock. If you want to hit me up with any more questions, or any topics you want me to riff on, it's at Rob McZob on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and cheers. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Want to give a big thank you to Rob McCallum for his off-the-cuff segment today. But Josh, before we head on out, you wanted to share some thoughts on the music scene. So the floor is yours. What's going on in Josh's world when it comes to music? There's a band that I always loved when I was in high school called Norma Jean, not to be mistaken with, you know, Norma Jean from way back when. This is a metalcore band, and they've always been 
you know, kind of at the center of the genre ever since it popped up. But, you know, less and less these days, there's more people self-producing music these days. So they've been, you know, less and less involved in like the major record labels. And now they're kind of doing their own thing. So every album that they've had has been on Billboard's top like 50 to 75 musicians. This new album that they just came out with, and it has sold significantly less copies. And I think it's because, you know, there's two factors here. Music is not being consumed in the same way that it used to be. I feel like tastes have changed. You know, people don't want old bands to evolve into something new. They want old bands to keep creating the same music over and over again. So I feel like as these bands, these old bands come out and try to reinvent themselves, uh, even like look at Third Eye Blind, like their new album's garbage. But again, these bands, as they try to reinvent themselves, people don't want to listen to that. They just want them to keep making the stuff that they used to. Like this new Norma Jean album has a lot of softer songs on it, but they're very memorable. They're very deep. And you heard about the Black Crows reuniting possibly as well. I have heard about that. Yeah. But so people, they want old stuff like that. People still, you know, Hawthorne Heights has been around for years and years and years, but people don't like their new albums. They just want to listen to silence and black and white over and over again. So it's one of those things where like, I don't know, the music landscape is changing. This might be a good episode to like kind of deep dive on one day, but the landscape is so strange. And like, I feel like a lot of these bands, the older bands are, they're going to slowly disappear because there's no longer a market for them anymore like i don't know what people are listening to anymore and especially with like the people now self-producing there's a lot of music out there that could be really good but nobody's getting to hear so it's just a very very strange world that we are in i'll have more thoughts on music later on but it's just it's something that i'm i'm kind of studying right now because i'm interested in it well my friend for you we will dedicate a good portion of an episode coming up in the future for music and what you're talking about I think a lot of it is money driven because when they tell you it's about the music and about the art, you know, you and I both know it's about the money because the money being distributed out there in so many different ways is quite different than the way it was in, let's say, even the early to late 2000s. I mean, you know, let's say the Black Crows, for instance, when they were going ahead and going on tour and things of that nature, they now can find new ways of generating money they didn't even have 10 years ago. And same thing with all these other bands that are now reuniting again. I'm not surprised because, again, there's so many different ways they can now generate funds without having to go back to the studio and create a new album if they don't choose to. The money's there now, and I think that's appealing to a lot of these bands that were either very well thought of in the 90s, the last decade, in the early 2000s, or what have you, because we're seeing more and more of these bands reuniting even though the smiths said flat out that they're not doing it but there's still other bands out there that are going to be in the near future thinking very seriously about reuniting because the money and the revenue that you can generate from so many different facets because the way we're doing streaming internet live shows the whole nine yards is so much different than what it was before yeah and just the way we're consuming it and also the fact that you can make an entire album in your garage thrice did that with their last album so it's just things are changing you know it's just i think the market needs to realign itself but i'm also interested to see how people are consuming music and what exactly are they consuming we will have to wait and see how that lays out but the music landscape is changing and because of all the different technologies and all the different things whatever is influencing it the music landscape is definitely changing and hopefully, Josh, 
you will go ahead and continue to fill us in on what's going on with the music scene. What are your thoughts out there on the changing landscape of everything going on in music? The reunion tours, which are getting announced by a lot of different bands out there. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. And before we head on out, I want to make mention that it is Veterans Day weekend. I hope everybody is having a good time, but at least takes at least a moment to remember those who have sacrificed their lives for our country and to also those who serve in our armed forces today. I do say a big hearty thank you. And for those who have served for our country, we cannot thank you enough from all of us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. So for Josh Peterson... This is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Hey, pardon interruption, but do you want to learn more about love, lust, sex, anger, happiness, music, time, space, and the human race? I hope you do, because I'm here to beg you to listen to Soul Forge Podcast. We're your weekly dose of life and living here on the ESO Network. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts and soulforgepodcast.com. A proud partner of the Rusted Robot Podcast here on the ESO Network. Let's find out together. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.